0: We decided the other day, Let's okay, we've got a 10-year plan. Mm -hmm. Well, we haven't got a plan. We've got a 10-year horizon. Let's not try and do everything tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Suddenly, you feel a weight is taken away from you when you say this is a long-term venture. Mm -hmm. And then you suddenly start realising that that means you have to enjoy the process. I don't think it took me that long to work out that actually businesses were just ways of those people who'd set them up to help them achieve their goals in life. Mm. You know, they're not a goal in themselves. And and that that was that was a good thing to realise because mm. it, it meant I had a much better, I think, connection with the people I was helping uh, because I could help them achieve their life goals, mm. not just their business goals. Yeah. Because people get mm. so wrapped up in the flow. Yeah. They get so wrapped in wrapped up in the story that they are sold which is build a business, sell it, be happy. Mm. And it's bollocks.
1: Hi, I'm Carlos, co-founder of the Happy Startup School, and welcome to our Happy Startup Community podcast. Along this journey of building the Happy Startup School, I've had the privilege of meeting amazing people from around the world. Whether it was across a banqueting table at our summer camp festival or sat at a beach cafe in Goa during one of our retreats. Each of them had fascinating stories to tell and interesting ideas to share that have changed how I look at business and life. This podcast is my effort to share these conversations with you and to open up your horizons to new perspectives and ways of viewing the world. I hope they become a source of inspiration, learning and connection. Enjoy. This episode is a meaty one in which the conversation covers 10-year plans, cottage renovations, business goals, life goals, selling companies, self-awareness, and leadership. My talking partner on the podcast is Ray Richards, founder of Do Something Different. He's fascinated by behavioral flexibility and is on a mission to make the world a better place by helping people make better behaviors. He's also an experienced entrepreneur who sold two businesses and is now on the process of growing his third. Along the journey, he's learned many things, not only about business, but about himself. He says he's inherently lazy, but what he really means is that he doesn't want to spend all hours of the day on work, as he's got other things he wants to do. So what does that mean when it comes to leading a business? What makes a leader? When we think of great leaders, we associate them with traits such as drive, charisma, resilience, clarity, and clear communication. However, I believe that we can all lead in our own way. To do so, we need to ask ourselves some probing questions. What are my personal and emotional needs? And where do they come from? What does my organization, business, or work need to be to address those needs? With that deeper understanding of ourselves, we can develop a style of leadership that feels authentic and purposeful. We may not become the next Steve Jobs, but we'll build a business that does the job of making us happy. And that's what Ray wants, to do work and build a life that makes him happy. Listen on to hear his thoughts about leadership and how he needs to lead now.
0: So what do I do? I suppose, I mean, I have my... Uh, my my own time, you know, family, friends, that sort of stuff. Um, my working week, if you want to call it that, mm-hmm. uh, is split into three really. One is do something different, uh, building the next version of the technology, which is an app called Flex, and that's been a very interesting process and an enjoyable process. Um, but that may be because we haven't actually got real users on it yet and uh, I don't have to deal with the... I can just imagine it's going to be super successful and and don't have to worry about the realities of it all. So, uh, But that that's a good part of my <clears throat> week at the moment. Um, there's doing our podcast, Neil and I do, Life Done Differently, uh, podcast which has been really, really interesting and really useful way of understanding how people have manage to change and then we can start taking those learnings and building it into flex so that's they work really nicely together and then the other part of my um, normal week would be uh, restoring a cottage that I bought with three friends that's that floods two or three times a year so (coughs) yeah that's and that that's been really really interesting because you've got four people who are all you know run their own things, <laughs> so they're used to being uh well certainly having uh, being heard mm-hmm. and and then there's four people who's actually in that situation, so that's been quite interesting and and it's been. The, the, the most important thing, really, was that I think we bought it. We didn't know why we bought it. Okay. We, it was just in auction. It was, if we get it for this price, great, fantastic. We'll do something. Um, and we got it much cheaper than we ever imagined. So, and then we started to realise that, actually, we couldn't do a grand designs on it. Um, and it would be an absolute, well, it would be so wrong to knock it down. Um, we just got to restore it. Mm -hmm. And that whole process of just restoring something and trying to keep it alive rather than building something big, shiny and new, that has been just uh, so calming. Mm. Uh, And a a real sort of uh, yin to the yang of building a business that you want to change the world, it's... All we're trying to do is just get it back to the point where we and others can enjoy it and, and not do anything more.
1: So The phrase that stood out for me there, you said keeping it alive, and it reminded me of the book Infinite Games.
0: No, don't know that.
1: So the way I understand the premise behind this book is there's two types of games, finite games and infinite games. Finite games, the purpose is to win. Infinite games is the purpose to keep the game going yeah and so um they, i think the examples they give like the education system and and business is around all right how can we dominate a market how can we get the top grades how can we yeah. be the best how can we you know and then infinite infinite games is about how do we keep a society flourishing how do we all have food on the table how do can we yeah. all be happy and so i think about this renovation it wasn't all right let's flip it let's How do we keep it alive? How do we? Yeah. Well, but
0: having said that, that that's true. That's true with with do something different and flex. In that that I we we've never set out to build it and sell it. We've set out, and that's been part of the problem. (laughs) You know, (laughs) because it's difficult to raise finance when you don't want to sell. So, um, but there is an element of building it to the point where then we can just keep it going and it can play its role in the world and in helping people get what they want from their life.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: <clears throat> so and I, and I think that the same with the, with the with the with the podcast as well. I mean, we've got we realized the other day we sort of we were, you know, trying to give us five stars, you know, uh, subscribe, yeah. you know. And, you know, of course, we still need to do all of that stuff if, if we think what we've got is value, valuable. But we decided the other day, let's, okay, we've got a 10-year plan. Mm-hmm. Well, we haven't got a plan. We've got a 10-year horizon. And, yeah. and let's not try and do everything tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Let's, we've got 10 years. And that, that suddenly you feel a weight. Is taken away from you when you say this is a long-term venture, mm-hmm. and then you suddenly start realizing that that means you have to enjoy the process. Yeah. Um, and why wouldn't you want to enjoy the process? There is no tomorrow ever. Yeah. Um, you, you've got to try and in, enjoy it as much as you can while you're doing it. Why wouldn't you? Yeah. So I, I like that infinite, finite thing. I think it's. I think it's actually really quite useful. Yeah. Might have to buy that one you um
1: so maybe to create a bit of a contrast or if there is one um before do something different before life mm. done differently in the cottage renovation yeah you had another existence in business yeah maybe tell us a bit more about that and i don't know if you can remember what what you were in it for at the time um
0: <clears throat> Yes, yeah, good question what was i in it for at the time and i think I think I was attracted to business because um well, I like sport and I like um to be competitive, and I think with business, I saw an opportunity to <coughs> be competitive you know and yeah. and and have challenges and and try and achieve them and and that's sort of and, and and I and I I had a mixture of my own businesses and helping other people, mostly helping other people <coughs> and on a few occasions I managed to find people who were really super competitive and super driven in a way that I wasn't. Um, and I think I probably provided a bit of, um, well, I was a sounding board Mm -hmm. and probably I think those people I worked with would say I had had the human, uh, you know, I cared very much about the people.
1: Were you working as a, in a mentorship role or a coaching
0: role or was this, um, well over the years, a whole, I mean, I, I I guess my, I I did lots of different things between the ages of. well, I did an HND in business and finance because I cocked up my A levels. Mm. Uh, a level, <laughs> A level, one uh, D in economics. I was, quite, I was quite proud of that though. So that, uh, uh, then I, yeah, did a business and finance HND because that's the only thing that. Well, my mate was doing it. Yeah. Um, so I thought, well, I'll do that. I've got a,
1: so, for people who don't know what an HND is, maybe give them a, a picture of how that compares to different. Well,
0: well it stands for has no degree. <laughs> I've only subsequently found that out. <laughs> <laughs> an HND, high national diploma uh, in, in business and finance, and I have to say, even though it, you know you can get into it on one D in economics, um, it was quite good. Mm. You know, I learnt a lot about business, so uh, it gave me a bit of a taste. Uh, and I, I guess I'd done a. It was a general business and finance that qualification that covers a lot of different things and really the years that followed I just did lots of different things Mm. I did I worked in marketing I worked in sales I worked in HR worked in finance I worked in IT I mean I pretty much I really did work in so many different departments and of course that qualified me for nothing (laughs) really because I wasn't I didn't have any depth in any area and no and then HND and business and finance which it turns out is not enough to get a job for McKinsey's uh, as a management consultant, uh, which was a bit disappointing. <laughs> but I did eventually get a job sort of using all my little bits of experience working for um, what turned out to be Business Link, which was a government-funded organisation to help small-to-medium-sized enterprises grow. And I, <clears throat> my education was... Uh, helped enormously by sitting down with people around their own businesses and mm. finding out how they did it and what their problems were and how I could maybe help solve those those problems. Um, but I, I it, it didn't take me, I don't think it took me that long to work out that actually businesses were just ways of those people who'd set them up to help them achieve their goals in life Mm. you know they're not a goal in themselves they're just a way of you achieving what you want in your life now that might be financial Mm -hmm. it might be challenge it might be excitement it might be travel Mm -hmm. it might be hanging out with different people Um, but it, it they aren't in themselves they're not important mm. it's just what if you're running your own business this is yeah um they're just ways of you having a better life yeah and and that that was that was a good thing to realize because mm. it, it meant i had a much better i think connection with the people i was helping because i could help them achieve their life goals mm. not just their business goals yeah because people get i think so, and we've talked about this before, they get mm. so wrapped up in the flow, yeah, they get so wrapped in wrapped up in the story that they are sold, which is build a business, sell it, be happy,, mm. and it's bollocks, yeah, so um so yeah that that that's 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 been the journey I've been on really mm. is just trying to understand how business can. Help us all, or certainly those people that, that that are involved in them, not just the owners. How they can help everybody have a have a better life, and that and then when you start to extend that out to you know beyond shareholders and employees, and you start to think, well, how could it help suppliers? Mm-hmm. How could it really help customers? Then you suddenly end up with something that's um, really trying to you know making the world a better place. Mm. Um, and that's got to be the goal, And but the problem with it is it's generally not the way things are done, <laughs> so it's really, you know, really hard to do it. Uh, so it
1: sounds like you had a broad, through the business link work, you had a real cross-section of different people running different types of businesses, and you got oh, to
0: see the human level. Oh, God, yes. Yeah. And
1: what I heard you say was that, well, the way I interpret one of the bits that you're saying is the difference between an intrinsic and extrinsic motivation for running your business, well, so the extrinsic bit is success looks like this for a business: you get it to this level of revenue, this size of staff, this number of offices, for instance. And, yeah. that's one. and then there's the intrinsic: is like I'm looking for uh, a sense of achievement, or I want to yeah. be able to travel, or I want to be able to feel free, or something like that. And that's what another thing that motivates people to run businesses.
0: Yes. But I I think what happens too often is that people, you know, myself included, this is not other people, this is me as well, forget the intrinsic stuff. Mm. And they get caught up in the story that bigger is better. Mm -hmm. And they don't question it. They just think that that is what you're meant to do when you run your own business that you it has to be bigger and that's not right
1: well it doesn't necessarily serve the human person no it it might it might be it
0: might bigger might be better yeah it it might be absolutely but it doesn't mean it, it is for sure yeah um you know i i know i know someone who you know built their business up sold it for 45 million quid and then two weeks later committed suicide you know that's quite uh yeah you know, that's uh that's an amazing thing
1: mm, That is a testament to all that work <coughs> potentially being for naught if it ended up
0: yeah yeah, I mean, he realised yeah. the dream that you know, supposedly mm. the dream, forty-five million pounds is a lot of money, yeah. um, but didn't really understand what it meant to him. Yeah. Um, didn't understand himself. Well, this I, is the I, I would I would suggest
1: the phrase that's been bouncing in my head at the moment is um, the idea of entrepreneurship as a journey of self-discovery. Yeah. And whether some people accept that invitation, or you plow on with, or so let me describe the, the the potential path is like you start off like you said, the world of business being sold a story, and you accept that story wholeheartedly that bigger bigger is better, success is a set of numbers in a spreadsheet, and that's all you're going to work towards, and then this other invitation of actually this whole journey you're gonna be learning more about you than about the business. And where you end up is where you need to end up if you yeah. accept the invitations along yeah. the way. And it sounds like for some people, they because they don't listen to that bit, they go for the clear, simple target, but lose themselves in the process.
0: I think, I think that's right. I, I think that's what happens um, a lot. Hmm. You know, I, I don't know how how much I own. I, mean, I think you've got you've got a bunch of people who run their own business who who, who are making that choice because they you know they they want to be in control of their own time, hmm. probably uh, or, or certainly more than uh, as an employee, <clears throat> and they are self employed. Hmm. They're not running a business to grow it and and, and sell it and scale. Yeah. You know, they might employ a few people, and and I think a lot of the time, those businesses are really good, really good businesses. Mm. You know, they really understand. I think they would, we would probably call them family businesses. Lifestyle, a lot. Business. lifestyle businesses, absolutely, and and, and but. That, that phrase lifestyle business has been um, knocked. Yes, you know people. Oh, he's just running a lifestyle exactly. business. Oh wow, <laughs> he's running a lifestyle business. You know that, why wouldn't you? Yeah. Why wouldn't you run a business that improves your lifestyle?
1: Yeah. I think that's that's the thing that oh, I remember hearing that a lot. So. Using it as a, as a disparaging remark, yeah, rather than um, something to be proud of, yeah, and even and, as an, it's like a, a, a kind of an, um, an apology sometimes, yeah. It's just a lifestyle, basically.
0: yeah. That's right, yeah. It's just a, it's just something I do to make me happier, and yeah. the people that work for me happier, yeah. and you know, I provide good quality service or product, and yeah. wow, <laughs> well done you know, you haven't got caught up in the, in the flow. You mm. haven't got caught up in the story that we have to, everything has to be bigger.
1: Yeah. So with your own journey in business, what, what things have you, have you always had that appreciation, actually, this, this is very much about making my life better? Or did you have a transition to do the way of learning? Ah, actually, there's a light bulb moment at some point. I think i to change things up.
0: Um, no, I certainly wasn't, there wasn't a light bulb moment. Um I think it's just been a, a a series of Well it's probably been a pattern of ebbing and flowing. Okay. You know, where you get um you have some success and then
1: Maybe tell us about the success.
0: Um success. Um well, my, I think probably one of my biggest successes was getting out of a business. Mm-hmm. The first business that I I went into a joint venture.
1: <clears throat> what was that business?
0: Um, it was an internet business. Uh, it was called Red House Solutions and we were building templated websites really is, you know early days of the web mm-hmm. you know so an estate agent's need one of the estate agent's needs were no different from another estate agent's needs really you mm-hmm. know you could drop in a different logo and different properties and but they're pretty much the same and it, websites are very expensive to build at the time mm-hmm. so we were building templates for estate agents templates for second hand car uh, and
1: so, how many of you were running the business?
0: Well, that was there was me, and there was another. In, there was an internet company, the guys that were building it, and
1: okay, and to so they it, the developers and they designers. were the developers.
0: That's right, yeah. And I was the sort of designing it and and sales, okay. Um, but what I realized was that even though we had a great product, um, and you know. Fair play to them. They built a good a good product, and we had BT lined up to distribute it. You know, I just woke up one morning and realised that the reason I didn't enjoy what I was doing is just because the people I was working with had a different set of values. Mm. And so that that really was genuinely one of the best decisions I made. Just get out of that. Mm. But because I realised that was the first time I realised that the values. You've got to have similar values with the people you work, mm. um, or or at least be able to have a conversation about the differences. Yeah. Um, so the, the business is
1: doing well. Lots of potential BT lined up. Yeah. But you said actually this out, isn't for I'm me. I'm out of here. That's right. Yeah. And and you say there was a misalignment of values. Is, are you able to illustrate what what that meant?
0: Oh, just the way people, uh, you treat people. Okay. Just the way you treat employees and yeah and customers and. So
1: was it one level, people just feeling like these are just people we can get to sweat and make us money, and, and another bunch of people who are just going to give us money for stuff that we create. In terms of like that level of thinking of people within their businesses. If, if you,
0: if you, I mean, I'm sure you have been a, a, an, a an employee of a bad employer, mm-hmm. um, and the way you're treated, and you're you're seen as a resource, you're seen as a human resource. Yes. That's what it was like. Okay. You know, everybody's just seen as a human resource. And as you You're say. You're a cog in a machine. Absolutely. Make sure you do yeah. That you do your bit. You know, yeah. we're not going to give you much direction, but don't get it wrong. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, <laughs> that sort of, that sort of approach. And that, you know, that really was one of the best decisions I made to, to, to get out of that and just leave it. Hmm. Didn't take anything. Um, so that was a success. <laughs> um and, you know, and it was because I learned that lesson. Hmm. You know, and I, I would have learnt that lesson at some point. Yeah. I learnt it there, and it, and it was an important one. And this um, was
1: the first business you were part
0: of, or was this... Yeah, uh, was that the first business? Yeah, it probably was. Yeah. Okay. I think it was the first time I'd... Well, it was the first, certainly the first time I'd gone self-employed. Mm. Um. So, and, you know, didn't have a boss. Yeah. And then, you know, I, I I advised lots of businesses and sort of ended up being non-exec director of a few, and... And, and we sold one, and that so that was a that mm. was a
1: success. And which which was that business?
0: That was Midnight Communications, mm-hmm. uh, Caroline Caroline Brown, and that was the dot com boom PR company focusing on dot com <laughs> clients. Um, yeah, it was it was a. Uh, what was your role in it? I was I was non-exec director. Okay. So I mean I basically just acted as a sounding board and you know I, I found the guys that ultimately the agents that sold the business um and we all went through that process and that <clears throat> that was quite a big moment mm. you know selling a business is a b- big moment for yeah. you know quite a lot of money you yeah. know enough money that certainly
1: it's a very clear mark of
0: validation it is that's right and that's that's i think that is part of why it is part of the story mm. um the entrepreneur's story, and you can't get away from it. Every, every entrepreneur knows that there's this this thing ha- can happen. Um, and I think part of the reason is, is a very clear moment. It's mm. a very clear milestone. Yeah. Um, it's like getting to the top of a mountain. Mm. But the thing about getting to the top of a mountain is you've got to come back down again. Yeah. And that's not always so easy. <laughs> um, I mean, that particular case, we we actually... Sold it to an AIM listed company, and then, well, it was quite funny actually because we were relatively—I was relatively naive—and just thought, well, this, yeah, these guys who are buying us seem must know what they're doing, you know. Mm. I their, their strategy doesn't seem to be particularly solid to me, mm-hmm. but they're an AIM listed company. They've raised all this money. They must know what they're doing. Yeah. Well they look successful. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. It turns out that they didn't <laughs> you know, and they went bust within 12, 18 months and so we bought the company back for a, about a twenty five percent of what we sold it for. Mm. So, um, So did
1: you have some kind of earn out clause then you had to be still part of the company? Yeah. One? Okay. Yeah.
0: Um but it wasn't very long. Okay. Um the subsequent sale was three years. I'm pretty sure with that it was it was only a year um but so that that was a, that was a success mm. um and that sort of gave me confidence that that I could do this yeah. and help other people do it mm-hmm. um which is what you know I did a few times you know worked with entrepreneurs who had their own businesses and we grew them and we sold them mm-hmm.
1: um so it sounds very much like a I don't want to when we say supporting role, but I'm sure it's more active than that, but you're very much part of a...
0: Sometimes it was and sometimes it wasn't. Okay. Yeah, with with, with Spannerworks, what became my crossing, um, I was, yeah, I was in, in it. Mm. I wasn't uh, just somebody who turned up once every couple of weeks to... Um, so tell us really the
1: story of Spannerworks, how that started and, and how that evolved.
0: Um, well, Arjo, Arjo and Robin started it... Um, from RJ's bedroom, you know, and they... Classic. Yeah, building websites, you know. Uh, and, and interestingly, well, in fact, Caroline introduced me to RJ and sort of said, well, you need know, you to meet Ray. He helped me sell company, went to see RJ. RJ was doing pretty much exactly what the guys I'd gone into a joint venture with were doing, which is mostly building websites and doing a little bit of SEO mm-hmm. on the side yeah. or natural searches or organic searches, it was called then. And I'm sort of saying to Arjo exactly what I said to the guys that I work with, this SEO thing looks, you know, this is really like, that's really interesting. That's got recurring revenues. It's innovative. It's really close to the money. You know, you get somebody's, website to the top of the search engine you know they're going to be very happy it really does make a difference to their bottom line Mm. and RJ is looking at me going yeah I agree you know SEO so we switched the focus pretty much overnight from building websites to SEO and and changed a few things around and I think RJ and Robin were employing I think it was seven of them then Um, and yeah we, we just focused on that and, and we were really good at it. Hmm. Uh, and when I say we, I mean the guys that we employed. I mean, I didn't have a clue how they were doing it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but they seemed to be know what they were doing. And we encouraged that. And, yeah, grew the business very, very uh, quickly, really.
1: And so your role in it, how would you have described it? What were your... Well, how to start with, I was just do. a
0: sounding ball for Arjo. Yeah. um so much more st- strategic um and then got much more involved in how we structured it and you know what sort of products were we going to you know be offering because mm-hmm. we broadened out from seo uh to paid search and then i think we were probably one of the first if not the first to employ um somebody to look after social media mm. uh, which was innovative um, and you know, eventually, I sort of became I ditched all my consultancy and threw my hat in with Arjo, and we mm-hmm. another CO, COO. Mm-hmm. Um, not sure that was exactly my strength, but we sort of somehow managed to cobble together
1: Because a... it sounds like you, you when we before, this whole very deep depth of field. You yeah. had this view of what what's this market looking like, what what all the things going in, and how then Arjo's skills and and his team could plug into that it like or how you could
0: take a- um, Yeah I think probably Arjo was probably leading more on the um, on the product side mm. I was really on the people side and how do we organise people okay. um, and how do we keep a team together mm. <laughs> and how do we pay them because you know they're coming in straight from university we're spending six months you know training them yeah. within six months they're very very attractive to many many companies mm. um, so how do we keep them interested in what we're doing and we did that by moving them around quite a bit uh, and so we sort of managed to keep people for three years mm. when the industry average was about nine months okay um and that was massive yeah. that was ma- and we had a really yeah, you know we had a few people that were well you know those people in an office when they're They're charismatic and they get the social things going and Mm -hmm. they have a laugh and and we had we had a good number of of those sorts of people and so we just kept a team together that that's that's all we did is we kept a team together Mm. and got the other bits right as well you know we understood about pricing we understood um, how to deal with issues when they arose you know or we we started to anyway we learned that so but I I think the, the the big thing that we did we were innovative and we kept innovating and we kept a team together yeah. that was it and then, and then when we sold the business we everybody shared in it hmm. so everybody shared in the success yeah um and anybody that was with us during the earn out which was 3 years also uh, shared in the success
1: so is that sounds like this is the a thread that's gone through your professional life this idea of equity yeah. and fairness yeah definitely and then like being able to reward people and treat people in a way that, that justifies, well, gives them a sense of achievement or, or value. Is
3: that right?
0: Yeah, or like the, the real motivation for everybody sharing in the success of the Spannerworks sale was, was I didn't want to be walking around Brighton bumping into people, you know, and I've got a bank account that's really quite healthy and they've got nothing out of it just Mm. i I was being selfish really i just didn't want to have that feeling where um where a small number of shareholders had done very well and the people that had made it happen didn't share in it Mm. um so yeah that was that was the real motivation and i think you know i learned a lot of things from from that, and I, I think is that is that money does change people. Mm-hmm. You know, as soon as you you give something to they, then they're expecting it. And the problem was that we hadn't been through that process really before. Um, we did it a bit with Midnight. We, we, we shared it a bit, mm-hmm. uh, but not all the way. Yeah. Um, but when people know that they're gonna get some. In our case, cash every year mm. um, from from the earnout, <clears throat> they start really demanding it. Where is it? it, was, it it's due on February the twenty fifth, and we haven't got it yet. And it's mm. like, wow, okay. <laughs> so yeah. we had to start managing employees who suddenly, you know, they were spending it in their heads. They were yeah. spending it. They were, you know, putting down deposits on. Holidays and yeah. and and they you know and it started to become a bit of an issue. Interesting. With, only with a vocal minority, I mm-hmm. have to say, but yeah. it, it was a real. It wasn't something I was expecting. Yeah. Um, that people would start getting very agitated about the fact they hadn't got their mm. their payment. Nobody had. Yeah. You know, it was just delayed in the way these things sometimes are delayed. Yeah. So that was a bit of a.
1: Um... It's interesting how that. I believe, relates to people's relationships to money and what they, um, how they suddenly reframe the situation because it goes from a potentially a, a position of abundance to then a notion of scarcity. It's like, rather than saying, oh, I'm going to get to this money at some point, it's yeah. like, where's the money? Money's not here. I had an intro I think it comes to, me up to mind because I had a conversation with my father over the weekend and he was talking about a cousin of his... Who inherited from his mother, uh, I think, 400,000 euros worth of land. Uh, But the land wasn't properly square. Right, okay. And so he squared it off and interfered with someone else's land. Oh, right, okay. And ended up going through some legal issues. And then, but all through that, he he started complaining oh, this land is a nightmare. (laughs) Oh, why did I get it in the first place? It's such a pain in the ass. So rather than thinking, oh, I've got 400,000 euros in yeah. my pocket, it was like, oh, it's a pain in the ass. Yeah. And it's,
0: it's, and
1: it's the shift, it's just it's the same situation. It's just a complete shift in your mindset as to what's going on and the story you're telling yourself. Like, yeah. What's happening to you.
0: Yeah. And I, it's interesting because I've spoken to quite a few people recently on the podcast, actually, and people. A lot of the people that have managed to live a life that is not what most people call conventional have done it because they've been able to live their life with very little.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, they've managed to get by yeah. with not very much. Mm. Um, and I think there is a massive freedom that comes with that. Mm. Um, I think it's a healthy thing to be able to do.
1: I was thinking, because this is strangely enough, this is a conversation I was having with my father over the weekend, because he, he came from a very poor background. And <coughs> the way I look at it, there's a power in it. And the way I interpret that, because you know you can survive yeah. at that level as well. Yeah. And if you don't know whether you can survive or not, then that's when the fear comes in. But if you've been to that stage that's and right. you've got through it, yeah, that's right. then you're fine. Yeah, I'll be fine
0: whatever happens yeah yeah I mean, we, we spoke to Pablo Woodward who may, other people may know as the disco bunny
1: yeah Morris's <laughs> mate yeah
0: <laughs> of course you know in you, fact you, you guys sponsored him your, your name is on <laughs> the Happy Startup School is on the side of the bus <laughs> where we where we spoke to him and um, he lives on 25 quid a day yeah and he's on his world tour currently I think last time I heard he was somewhere in Sweden but he lives on 25 quid a day yeah and he's got this um, bus that is not, you know, it's, it's not Winnie Bago. No, it's not a Winnie It's not even a. It's not even a, a, a trendy V Dub split screen type yeah. thing. It's just. A, I think it's a Talbot <laughs> that he's painted in Dulux yellow, <laughs> and it's not. Yeah, it's not everybody's idea of a beautiful little space, yeah. um, but it's all he needs. Well, that's that question of what is enough. Yeah, that's right. And that's...
1: So I'm interested, actually, should... Because... Um, uh, well, the thing that springs to mind is like this whole thing, what is enough? What, what, and you either measure that in terms of money or you measure that in terms of emotions or you measure whatever you measure it. And I believe there's, there's a need that sometimes drives us in the way we act in, in business and whether we grow big or how we treat people. And what I'm linking to that is like, well, the way you behaved in business, particularly the way you wanted to, when the the selling of iCrossing crossing or was it Spanner Works? It It was Spanner
0: Works. We sold it to Spanner Works and it became iCrossing, crossing
1: -crossing. yeah. How you wanted, uh, you wanted to make sure everyone was looked after. Mm. Um, And what I hear there is a need for fairness, a need for equity. Yeah. You said it, I didn't want to feel like an arsehole because I got all of this and no one else. But underneath that, I believe there's a need for fairness. Yeah. Now, the question I have, maybe there isn't an answer there, is like, do you know where that need came from? Because some people don't see that at all. They say, I built this, it was my sweat and tears, I paid you your money, you got your salary, Yeah. why should you get any of this? Because it was my risk. While other people, well, like yourself, might think, ah, you know, we all did this together, this is part <coughs> of the thing that we did together, and I feel the need to share this.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I, mean, I, I got it from a dad. Mm. <coughs> you know there's no doubt about that um he was always very he always felt he understood what fair was mm. <clears throat> whether he did or not is another matter but he tried he definitely was conscious of that um he has a strong belief around yeah. fairness yeah and I, and i think that that also uh, comes from sport you mm-hmm. know if you if you play sport at the sort of level that I played which is not quite often you don't have a referee mm. yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know you're playing a game of tennis yeah. with somebody the 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 local park you know if the ball goes in mm. you know you've got to t- you've got to let them know whether it's in or out and you've got to be fair about it yeah. and, and when you get play against people who you know the ball's in and they've just called it out it's like oh wow mm. that's a big call cool. yeah. <laughs> and that you know, and I never really understood that because, you know, you're playing in the local park against.
1: Well, it makes me. Spree- and I don't know if this is too much of a tenuous link, but I think again, infinite games versus finite games. If you're in it to win, and you want to be the last man standing, then you will do what you can to be at the top. But if you want to make sure you've still got people playing with you,
0: yeah, that's right, <laughs> exactly, yeah, because you enjoy the game. That's right, yeah, yeah, mean? and you play, and the long game is to get better, and that means keep to keep playing. Have someone to you, play with. <laughs> exactly. If you if you run out of people to play with, yeah. you, you know, you're not going to get any better anyway. No. So yeah, although having said all of that, I think sport is one of those places where you can you can go out to win, mm. but not at all costs.
1: No. I'd like to said, this idea of fairness. Yeah. There's uh, there's an agreement. Yeah,
0: well, and that's what the rules are there for, right? Yeah. <laughs> that's why you have lines. Mm. Um so the rules are there. It's very clear. You know exactly what you're able to do and what you're not able to do. Mm-hmm. Unless it, come, it comes to VAR, and then it's very unclear. <laughs> <coughs> well, it is for me anyway. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's, that's a transition. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's true. <laughs> so yeah, uh, well, fairness is definitely, definitely important. But I, I think sometimes you can, with fairness, you can give people things that they don't value. Okay. Um, and you think it's really valuable, and you think you're doing, you know, you think you're a really good guy because you're you're sharing this with them. They're looking, going, oh, well, thanks very much, mm. great. That is absolutely of no interest to me whatsoever because mm. maybe they've been given shares in a company, yeah, and they don't really know what that means, no. and they've never experienced. They don't know that that could be valuable in some way, yeah. Um, so I think I think it's very. You've got to be very careful when you're it's careful balance to make sure that you're not making some really you're making judgments about what's good for them
4: mm.
0: it's good for you it might not be good for them yeah, yeah. so it's it's, a, it's you've just got to be careful that you're not um You're not placing
1: your own value system. Your own value
0: system. That's right, and expecting everybody to go along with that. And and I think if you bear that in mind, Mm. it can be helpful. It can be helpful because some people do just want just give me a Christmas bonus, (laughs) exactly. You know, or give me give me give me Friday afternoon, the first Friday afternoon of every month off. Yeah. Or let me work from home. Or
1: well, a very clear example for me in my experience of this is when we were working with uh entrepreneurs building their products um and we would spend a lot of time asking them why do you want to do this what's your motivating or what's driving you they didn't want that no. i don't want more questions yeah i want you just to build it yeah it's like you know make this that's do that do that do that yeah tell me how much it costs and let's do it well we were much more interested what what does success look like? Why is he yeah. doing it? Who do you know? You know, why do you, wh- who, what is the change you want to create? But it was the wrong questions for the wrong, or people weren't prepared for those questions. Yeah. Or, or they or saw it them wasn't, differently.
0: Yeah. Or or it wasn't the right time for those questions. Yes. Exactly. Timing. Yeah. Because at some point they probably will start to ask yeah. those questions, but it may be two, three years' time. Yeah. Or, or, or longer. Because I think, you know, like what you're saying
1: there, whether there's share options or or a different way of working. um, Ultimately, they're not a bad thing. It's just some people don't value them at that point. No, that's right. And
0: and given that you've got a limited supply of these things, (laughs) make sure you give them to the right people, the ones that do value them. Um, But then there's also this, well, isn't it good that we're all in it together in the same, so when we win, everybody wins. Which
1: is, what I'm curious about, a personal level, um, I see this uh, this lens that you look at the world through this lens of fairness and lens of equity, and how that um, nudges you in certain behaviours and directions of how you want to run a business, how you see how people should be treated, how you want to create a system that that is equal for everyone. And so, um, a phrase that I learned a couple of weeks ago on another podcast was this idea of uh, the organisations we create bear the scars of our founders. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And this idea that we bring in these beliefs and these values and we unconsciously act based on those things. Um, And so I think the overarching thread, I'm interested in this conversation because you've gone, you've had these transitions of different businesses. There's been this, uh, feels like a consistency about the, the values that you have in business. Um, how you become more aware of that, if at all, or how they've changed through the experiences you've had?
0: Well, they've certainly changed. Um, I mean, I, the whole process is just a constant learning. Mm. Uh, that, that's all I can say. It's, yeah. it's, you know, it's a constant education mm. um, and, 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 and about finding out about myself as well Yeah, really finding out about myself and yeah I...
1: so when, us say when, when you sold Spannerworks yeah. was there anything you learned through that or do you think you learned anything through that experience oh god yeah <laughs> <laughs> about yourself
0: Uh. Oh my God, yeah. Uh, I mean, I learnt that I can be very, very resilient. Okay. Um, but that it is... Ve- <clears throat> but using resilience can be a very, very stressful process. Okay. Um, so being tough. hmm Being tough and well, soaking steep. it up All oh, right, soaking it up and you know the pressure and the, the stress and all of that mm-hmm. is a very very <clears throat> um difficult can be very very it was very very difficult it was a very stressful period mm-hmm. you know you,
1: you, was you, this you, around to negotiations and stuff yeah, like that yeah
0: negotiations or? and even then when the deal has been done you know there are lots of things that happen after that that uh, are very stressful you know you're Goldman Sachs won't pay you because they now own the company that you sold to. Mm-hmm. You know, a few months after we saw, sold. Goldman Sachs became the main investor, oh, right. and suddenly their approach to how they dealt with people was. I mean, we just ended up in three massive, massive fights with Goldman Sachs. Okay. Um, and I, you know, I can't really find any other word than assholes mm. to describe. The way they treated or tried to treat us—I mean, we won each time. Yeah. So we had three fights with—we won every one. You know, but you are fighting against Goldman Sachs. They are—they are saying, "Well, come on, then bring it on. Yeah, our, you know, our, our, our pockets are quite deep." Yeah, is what they're saying. Bring it on! And you're looking, going, "Yeah, but you're definitely not doing what you said you'd do." Mm-hmm. So surely, if it goes to court, we're going to be in the right, and we were. And they—they they caved in. Mm quite quickly actually but it didn't mean it wasn't very stressful yeah so that whole period uh arjo and i you know we had a real focus on you know we were really um working to the same objective arjo wanted to sell the business yeah i my job was to help him do what he wanted to do with the business so we worked towards that but once that was done then we didn't really have a clear goal after that so he and i um yeah, we, we we were a bit disjointed hmm. to say the least yeah. um, because all we could see, we see was the third year finishing yeah. and then what happens then yeah. you know and do we want to maximise the earn out or do we want to leave the business in a really good state so it can carry on and go on and, and thrive and mm. You Know it ebbed and flowed, yeah. So that
1: alignment uh, piece of what, what, yeah, both of you having clarity as to what you want and then yeah. coming together with that clarity, yeah, and, and makes so you think of your cottage, yeah, <laughs> that's right, yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, well, maybe if we'd have thought about it in those terms, it would have been easier. Um, so I've forgotten what your question was now.
1: No, I think it was that learning. So, what I heard from that was. You found you learned about yourself in terms of the level of resilience. You oh had.
0: yeah, absolutely. I learned I could be resilient, but I didn't want to have to go through that again mm. because it was just it was very very hard. Yeah. Um,
1: so what did happen after that?
0: Well, I did what all um, internet entrepreneurs do, and I bought a big house, <laughs> 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 and uh, and did it up <laughs> um, and that was that was that was great uh, you know that is, so you
1: just stopped everything else and you I just stopped ah, ab- this is my project I stopped
0: absolutely everything Yeah. I stopped everything and I just focused on that and that was quite um, therapeutic it is something I'd always wanted to do were is... you burnt out were you like yeah yeah <sighs> I was I'm definitely just, oh, I yeah, have an energy to do anything oh else. yeah no I was definitely uh, okay. in need of a rest right um, but turns out mm-hmm. Turning up a house isn't really a rest, but it's different enough yeah. to make it feel actually, like a rest. Yeah, changes as good as a yeah, rest, that's right. Isn't? Yeah, so it, that that was good, and I probably wasted far too much money doing it. And but it's the house I live in now, mm-hmm. and I love it. Uh, it's falling apart now, and I've got to actually start doing stuff again. So eight years later. Mm. <coughs> But that that was that was an interesting process and I did enjoy that and then but I was getting a bit bored yeah. and I got asked to do a little bit of work with PWC with a friend actually um, and didn't really have a good excuse to say no so did it mm-hmm. um, and then after that they asked me to get involved to bid for a diversity project okay. um, and which I I won so I had the gig to uh, help them develop a diversity programme and then I realised that I knew absolutely sod all about diversity. <laughs> and There's so uh, much diversity in <clears throat> <the> diversity world. <laughs> oh God, I, I mean I honestly did. I, well, I, I, what I what I really realised was that I knew nothing about how to help people actually change their behaviour mm. and I didn't want to put together a programme which people watched EastEnders and went through a bit of e-learning and said they'd done their diversity programme. So mm. I wanted to understand exactly how... People do change behaviour. And that's when I called Ben and Karen, professors of psychology, who I'd met previously, um, got them involved, and I learned all about the do something different methodology, which is not rocket science. It's just, you know, if you want different results, you've got to take small steps out of your comfort zone. You've Mm. got to do something different. You've got to step into the unknown, as I now describe it, and looked at this and thought oh my god this is this is incredible of course this is it's quite simple it's not about changing thinking it's about changing what you do and mm. doing it in small steps wow we could we could take this approach we could um use technology to deliver it mm. um because ben and karen were using with ronnell's help we're 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 doing it in a community center in Norfolk and it was you know it was really working very well the Mm. results were fantastic but it was very very labour intensive yeah um and so yeah we we did the project with PWC um it was very successful in their terms I'm not quite sure how successful it was if I'm really honest but they it won lots of awards and um and so we had a bit of confidence that we had something that that there was an appetite for Mm. Um, a Dutch company got involved, gave us a load of money to develop a product. We did that, that was successful, and we sort of kept going and um, yeah, that, that's how I got involved with do something different at behavior change because nice. I could sort of see that the methodology, mm. the idea of behavioral flexibility, yeah. which, is, which is really at the core of everything we do, um, could be a massive help to lots of people in so many different areas, mm. whether it, you know diversity, yes. But also, you know, if you want to lose weight, stop smoking, be a better leader, be happier, um, be less stressed, be less depressed, be less anxious. um, You know, whatever it is you want to change, whatever goals you want to achieve, this idea of taking small steps out of your comfort zone, giving you different results is applicable.
1: Yeah. Cool. So uh, there's this um, big change You can create. Uh, So, the things that are running through my head now, in terms of the story I've heard, is like um, there's a need for impact, a kind of sense, this need to like, I I want to make things better. Yeah. Uh, A need for fairness. I want to make sure everyone gets this. Yeah. Um, And so, now there's this vehicle. Yeah. And when we talk about business, not for the sake of building a business, but it is a vehicle for you to achieve. Your needs, yeah. Well, that's, that's what your needs is. There's a vehicle where you can create impact for many, many people, and actually raises people up on a big scale, yeah. Um, and then there's running a business.
0: Yeah, that's <laughs> that's where the difficult <laughs> bit comes. And
1: running, not only that, in an area that is technology, where there is a perception of how tech businesses supposed to evolve
0: yes absolutely
1: um, and what I remember from our previous conversation this idea of making following the path of 10 million users yeah and actually creating impact that feels meaningful to you yeah um, and it would be nice it would be interesting I think to talk to this this contrast I hear of for instance when you're talking about the the a community center, very tan, no, sort of hands on yeah. labor intensive approach. And then the idea of a product that could mm. scale up and the two mindsets that the, the, yeah, there were two approaches and what the feedback is and how that affects the person who's trying to create the work or do the work.
0: Yeah. Um, you know, and I, I would be lying if I said I understood, um, <laughs> the right way to do things Mm -hmm. now I don't um but I think part of the problem we had initially was that we were as you sort of alluded to we were we were taking a service-based approach to building technology Mm. so each time we got a client we would try and sort of meet their needs yep as we did when we ran an agency yeah um And it took me a very long time to understand that that is not the way to develop a product. Mm. Um, And that you create a product with users in mind, um, absolutely, but not as individuals. You have to develop it in a way that you you do it for groups. Mm -hmm. And if individuals don't like it, then... That's okay, Mm. and that's still. I still find that quite hard to say. I still find that quite hard to say that that somebody's going to come onto a, you know, an app that we might develop, and they're not going to have the best experience, and that's okay Mm. because actually, it's not designed for them. Yeah. Um. So I I still find that difficult, but. I now understand that that's what you have to do. Mm. You have to develop a product, um, and it can't meet the needs of everybody. Yeah, um, and maybe over time, you can develop it in a way where it does meet the needs of more people. Yeah, and that's certainly what we will do. Yeah. Um, but yeah, now the within phone... the
1: constraints of the business and the resources you have to work with. What yeah, that's come. right.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and. You know i just thought we, i just thought that what we had was such a brilliant idea yeah small steps yeah. do something different get something different back wow yeah. it's obvious yeah. everybody's going to love it yeah you know yeah. and and you know people mostly get the idea yeah. but actually putting it into a piece of technology where you know and it's an app on your phone
1: yeah that's much much more difficult
0: yeah. much more difficult um yeah,
1: it's a whole journey in itself and a whole yeah, process yeah absolutely and... yeah absolutely and um, so, the curious thing I have from this, and this is maybe uh, an assumption from the outside, I see a little little bit of a conflict there in terms of the personal need for fairness and equity and everyone getting what they need. And then this reality of building a product based business where you can't guarantee the outcomes for everyone. Because yes. I think even when you said before, they will look at the situation in different ways or they'll come to it with a different set of beliefs and so they won't necessarily follow the programme and get to where you want them to get to. Yeah. And being able to... This... Incongruence is too strong a word, but there's a mismatch of expectations. Expect, a need to make things for everyone to get benefit from and the reality of, actually, I can't necessarily do that at the moment. Yeah. And how that... Well, I don't know if that's something that that's been... You know, you talk about your idea of resilience and being able to accept adversity or challenges how that affects also how you want to move a business forward and how fast how hard you push something and how there's an elephant how much you
0: accept it yeah there's an elephant in the room that we haven't talked about and i think we need to talk about it and that's my inherent laziness (laughs) and you know i you know i like working you know i do like working if it's the right type of work and i'm with the right sorts of people but i am inherently lazy Mm. So I don't really want to be working all the hours that I can because I've got other things that I want to do with my life. So I tried to create an organisation that was much more holocratic, mm. where people ran with at genuine leaders of their own areas. Um, and I think. To a certain extent, we did that, Um I, I, I raised some finance because a friend invested, mm-hmm. uh, a very wealthy friend, thankfully, because he hasn't got a lot to show for it at the moment. Uh, in fact, I'm seeing him tonight. I probably just have to apologise again. <laughs> <coughs> um, and we, we just—I I didn't lead. Mm-hmm. That, I, I think that was the thing. I think. I think. I don't think I did the bit where I. Needed to lead. Mm. Uh, I was abdicating responsibility. I was trying to create an organisation where I wasn't essential in it, mm-hmm. and I think that's possible, but not in that startup phase. Okay. You've got to have a leader in that startup phase, and and I think people were, you know, unsurprisingly looking to me to do that, and I wasn't doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, what was
1: stopping you from doing <clears> that?
0: I I think I think the big thing that was stopping me doing it is that I had a lot of responsibility before when we sold Spannerworks. A lot of stuff came through me mm-hmm. and I didn't want to go back there again.
1: Ah, uh,
0: okay. Yeah. I just didn't. It was, you know, it was far too stressful. Yeah. Um, I just didn't want to go back there again and so I tried to constantly keep myself out of the loop as much as possible and only get involved when there was no alternative but that wasn't that wasn't enough yeah um yeah and ultimately it meant that we had to well it was only me left Mm. by the time we'd worked out you know that if we didn't if we didn't scale down our costs and yeah. that meant you know people finding other work yeah. and not working with us um, that we wouldn't have a business at all mm. so we had to bring it ba- back down to me mm. um, and Joao uh, my uh, developer mm. who's been with us pretty much from the beginning yeah. um, in one guise or another and we're slowly rebuilding it now and I am taking that responsibility I'm taking the responsibility for product and, pr- and everything yeah and bizarrely, I'm enjoying it, mm. but I, I'm doing it slowly yeah. now. So we got we'd raised some, you know, we'd raised a million dollars, you know, through a very you know generous um, stroke interested friend who could afford to invest that sort of money,
2: mm.
0: but we didn't use it in the best way we could have done. Mm-hmm. You know, we didn't. We thought we were at a point where we could scale, yeah, and we weren't. Okay. Um, so we, yeah, we've had to take it back down to basics again, take all the lessons we learned, yeah um and really, the guys before everybody sort of disappeared into their new working worlds, yeah. they created the beginning of this the new app, and they did a really good job mm-hmm. of getting the the basics right, and since then we've been building on that and finessing it yeah. um and I've been you know taking responsibility for the first time really mm-hmm. um, in everything that happens yeah. and it's quite a good feeling as long as you can do it at the right pace mm. if you're full if 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 you're having to do things quickly it's stressful yeah. um so we'll see what happens next but that
1: so with the previous incarnation like when you had the the larger team how did Direction and decisions and leadership work. What was
0: the what was the process? How did you? Well, I think if, we, if we'd have had a process, that might have been better. <laughs> or the agreement, or the way We just had a bunch of people who were really up yeah. for the purpose of the business. Okay. You know, really, utterly, and still are. Yeah. You know, you know, when I, when I went out with everybody last week, um, and you know, everybody's still. Really fired up about what we did and what we're doing, mm. um, and everybody did. People had their, their own areas of responsibility. Somebody say so somebody would be developing, you know, in charge of developing the product, and mm-hmm. somebody was, you know, doing all the, uh, the branding, and somebody was looking after leads and you know so people had their responsibilities but it just had nobody had that overarching Mm. and that was meant to be me Mm. um and i thought i'd done enough to let give people complete responsibility they can do what they want Mm. but they couldn't see what i could see yeah i I think that i think why would why would they i hadn't explained it to them yeah um now that's not to (laughs) say that's not to say that my vision for it Will be ever um, will ever get there, Mm -hmm. Um, but I'll be really pissed off if I don't give it a good go. I will be really pissed off if I don't don't um, make progress towards it. Yeah, and and I think I think we are. Yeah, I think we're making really good progress towards it. But it's a very different approach the one I had Mm. and and, you know simply what I learnt was that just a good idea with a load of people that really believe in that idea isn't enough Mm. it's just not enough you need somebody an individual who's a little bit of a benevolent dictator yeah uh, in that startup phase Mm. Is absolutely essential, mm. and you know. And I don't like being told what to do. This is the problem, really. Is I don't like being told what to do. Mm. So, and it goes back to what I said earlier. I don't like being told what to do. So I don't like telling other people what to do because yeah. I imagine they're thinking, "Don't tell me what to do." Where in actual fact, they're saying, "Just tell us what to do, Ray." <laughs> it's like, come on, you know, be clear. You know, I'm happy. I'm, yeah. not, you know, I, I'm working for a great company with great purpose. Just tell me, yeah. and then I can help. Yeah. So it's I think there's a big lesson here in it's don't assume that everybody feels the same way you do. Exactly. And that's what it doesn't matter whether that's about the value of shares yeah. that's or the value of flexible working yeah. or uh being told what to do just don't assume that. Really check in with people. Mm. You know what what you know you know what what how they want things to work.
1: Yeah. Now, I think it's really... I find it really useful, particularly through the way I look at this or I'm hearing this conversation is through this idea of inner work and leadership. And so taking just the leadership bit, I think in your context, one of the main... I think most leaders, but using your DSD as an example a big role of the leader there was to communicate the vision super clearly. Yeah. So everyone knew exactly where they were going and how it input into that. So it's very much purely communication, clarity, story, and making that, keeping that going. And then with the inner work side is this awareness of what's guiding my behavior. Why am I not stepping up? Yeah. You know, in this case, Past experience of, oh, actually, if everything has to go through me in the same way it went with Spanamart, I don't want to take that role. Yeah, uh, I don't like being told what to do, so I expect other people don't want to be told what to do, so I don't want to have that role. And so these little things that when you have an awareness of them and where they're coming from, then maybe allows you to reframe what that role of leadership could be for you.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think that's right, and I, th- I wish I'd learned that earlier. Mm. <laughs>
1: And that's, I think, for me, the intention with this kind of conversation and having that is, like, if you are that person who is potentially stepping into a leadership role or hesitating or are in that leadership role and you don't know why it's uncomfortable why things aren't working, yeah. is maybe not so much always just looking out for how do great leaders lead, but also looking a bit inwards into
0: when I, how and do I, I tick. And I, and I think that's what I, the last two years, I would say, what I've started to do is to notice how I feel mm. and not just say to myself, Okay, be resilient. You know, you can, you know, <laughs> it's like, Oh, come on. That's it's like sometimes it's useful to be resilient, sometimes it's useful to use something else. Yeah, because yeah, resilience might be for that final push. Mm. You know, if if you've got a mountain to climb, just getting you just actually to those, you know, the last the last bit, and that's really that's great. Yeah. You know, or yeah. being able to deal with, um, you know, painful situations yeah. when you know relationships break down or somebody dies or gets ill or yeah. you know and you need resilience there as well because you you know you, whilst you sort of work out what what what's going on, but. Yeah. To use resilience again and again and again, it you know you do not want to become that one trick mm. pony because you're going to live a life that is um far more painful than it needs to be uh,
1: the image I have in my head is a sponge, and there's only so much you can soak up, and so if you can't in the other words self compassion it's like if you can 't say okay there 's only so much I can take, yeah, I can't be resilient all the time, yeah, I have to just a uh, little. I don't know how what the word is, whether it's let go or just. So I just can't do that. Yeah, and I'm not going to be able to do that.
0: Yeah, and you know, and I, I really like the the quote. Um, you know, what you most need to know will be found where you least want to look. <laughs> you know, and I think that's I think that's really really an important thing to remember that you know i think probably in my case that was about taking responsibility mm. you know I was running away from the responsibility and i needed to be running towards it yeah um, and you know what it has made a massive difference to the mm. quality of my life actually running towards it yeah um and dealing with each thing that needed to be dealt with and you know it wasn't easy but actually once once you start to take responsibility it's amazing what happens <laughs> you know it's absolutely incredible so um And I think I think if you can do that quickly,
4: yeah,
0: and don't let it get that that problem get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Mm. If you can deal with those those problems as they come, and you you tack them head on, you look mm. where you least want to look, yeah. then yeah, they're, they're they're small amounts of discomfort, mm. not big amounts of discomfort stroke stress stroke pain Mm. uh, suffering you know just deal deal with them quickly yeah uh, and don't don't get let them get out of and ask for help
1: yeah i think that's the big thing you know ask for help because you
0: know you cannot you cannot it doesn't matter if you're ceo or you're um
1: low level project well
0: you're you're just you know you just started in your first job ever yeah you know ask for help yeah uh and i really like this idea of reverse mentoring as well where yeah. you know where a, a digital native who can coach me into um finding a way of using social media that isn't painful for me yeah. that i actually enjoy yeah um and that person who coaches me in that i yeah. can hopefully bring them some i i advice remember as well.
1: a few years ago working with someone, and he taught me this whole co-coaching approach. It's just, probably like DSD. It's having simple structures that allow you to have those conversations that you learn you help each other in a very mutual way, and you learn something that you might not have learned about yourself.
0: Yeah, don't let your ego get in the way. No,
1: no, exactly. And yeah. you know, in terms of getting, your ego getting in the way and your identity getting in the way, and linking it back to what we said before around some people are not ready for it. I think the the thing that's coming out for me for me for this conversation is that, like you said, you look in places where you don't want to look because that's where you're going to find the gold and the really useful things. And I, I can imagine there's going to be people who might listen to this and thinking, I don't want to look there, mm. but actually that's the best place for them to look. How can we incentivize? How can we get people to really? You know, they're not them. Or let's put it another <coughs> way. Um, is that classic thing of. Well, actually, I, I, I remember someone just talking about death uh, and this idea of raising your consciousness, being more aware of what's really important to you. And a lot of the time, you only realize that just before mm. that's going to happen. And that's why the whole near death experience, people change their lives. Ah, like, oh, now yeah. I know what's important. And we know that actually there's people. At this stage of the journey, that if you knew that had got that awareness, yeah. it would be so much better for you along this yeah. the rest of this path. It's like, but they're not ready for it, or they don't yeah. want to look into it. It's like, how, how do how do we create those moments? Yeah, how do you compassionately get someone aware? It's like, do you know what? If you looked at this thing in a different way, or if you looked at those spaces that you don't want to look at, yeah. So, well, yeah. I
0: I think I think the answer is it. It, it's a, it sounds like a, a very simple solution, but I do think it's the right solution. And I think it's just to experiment. Mm. Uh, I just take those, make sure that any steps you take are very small. Mm. So, you know, whatever happens, they're not um, catastrophic. Catastrophic, that's right. Um, take small steps and treat it as an experiment. Mm. And each time you take a small step, your perspective does change. Hmm. It, it really does. It's a small. It's, it seems. It seems like that small step isn't going to make a difference, yeah. uh, but it does. Um, and, and if nothing else, it makes you less afraid of the unknown, mm. because it's the fear of taking that step that's the problem. Yeah. Taking the step itself isn't a problem. Yeah. It's that bit before, and you know uh, the opposite is if. Uh, One of my favourite quotes is the Winnie the Pooh quote, which is, you know, I love honey. I really, really love honey. There's only one thing better than honey. And that's that moment just before (laughs) you taste honey. And it's the same. The opposite is also true. It's, it's, you know, it's not the doing it. It's the fear of doing it actually once you're in it it's, it's it's usually not a problem at all because mm. your mind is focused on the newness of what you're experiencing and that's quite exhilarating that's so get curious yeah. that, I mean I think really that is the most important thing for people to get curious to tackle the things that they um, are most afraid of they know what they are they you know, might take a bit of time to to, to notice them over a period or um, or or just sit down and have a conversation with somebody you trust mm. but very quickly you can start to get an understanding of the things that you are fearful and then just take some really small steps towards you know ask, ask if if you're worried about if it's an issue with your partner uh, whether it be a business partner or a life partner or a friend have a conversation a slightly different conversation to the one you ask a different question to the one you normally ask, mm. uh, or be a bit more open than you normally are, mm. or go for a walk with them when you don't normally go for a walk with them, and yeah. just really explore those areas where you are fearful. Notice what what's going on. Take it, explore. Take a few steps, um, and then take aim at something a little bit bigger. Well. Another step it doesn't yeah. even have to be bigger. You know, just keep taking small steps, and it's the only way to do it because big steps don't work. Mm. People don't take big steps, or they, or they, if they do, they're forced upon them usually. Yeah. You know, either ill health or redundancy or relationship. That you know, a big step happens to them, but when people want to change, the best thing is to just take small steps into the unknown and, and keep going.
1: Thanks for listening to this Happy Startup School podcast. We're on a mission to help purpose-driven entrepreneurs and individuals find more alignment between what they believe and the work they do. Because for us, happiness is when what you think, say and do are all aligned. Happiness isn't just a passive feeling, but an active way of living, which isn't always easy, but when it's done right, can be effortless. We're on a mission to help you find happiness by providing tools, courses and community that inspires you to follow the journey of building a happy startup. This will require finding out more about yourself as well as learning how to build a purposeful business. If you're excited by this, then please rate and subscribe to this podcast on your preferred platform and then go to our website, thehappystartupschool.com. You can also read our blog at ahappy.link forward slash read.